You're listening to our free podcast, The Screw Loose Juice. But this is just a taste. If you want the all-access pass to Rare Americans, then sign up for our fan club. For just $5 a month, you'll get never-seen-before music videos, guitar tutorials, articles written by the band, never-heard-before song demos, and hey, maybe even a little life advice that we've picked up along the way. Your 5 bucks goes a long way in helping us make more music and videos to further reach people just like you all around the world. The link to sign up is on our website, rareamericans.com, and on our Instagram page, at rareamericans. Thanks so much for your support. Screw loose! Screw loose juice! Is that how do we do the intro, Lubo? We don't do the intro. We don't go like, hey, screw loose juice! No, we don't. What up? What up, Duran? Uh, phones on silent, please. Both of. Both my phones are on. You know what? I actually. Always have my phones on silent. Yeah, I never. And you only I, you only have notification like for what? Like for uh, uh email, I, email and email. text, so, email and text, text. So no WhatsApp. No WhatsApp. So it's better to text you when. Yeah, yeah. but I don't. I don't want that secret getting out. I don't want anybody. Oh, it's no. out already. Yeah, the, uh, I don't like my phone. All eight people are gonna hear that and they're gonna be texting you. Nobody, you know, that's true. Nobody texts me. That's, Nobody texts you. <laughs> that's it. But I noticed you and uh, Jan, you guys love having your sound on, on your phone. Yeah, because we have wives and kids, and they might be in immediate danger for what for no reason in particular. So that's why you. That makes sense. Have... But I noticed you sometimes, but Jan mainly. He picks up the phone if it's not his wife or kids calling. He just yeah. picks it up all the time. Yeah, I pick it up too sometimes. And it's always spam. Yeah. When is it not? Well, you need to pick it up and see. That's <laughs> good, point, good point. You can't get the, the statistics until how, you... How, how, how can you know if you don't pick up your phone? Uh, true enough. So anyway, now it's a start. That's a good start. To was it a good start? Okay. Screw well, this that... juice. I'm a, I'm a long-time listener of the podcast. Oh, are you? Maybe do you want to tell something about yourself? Uh, tell, I... me, t- tell me who you are. Well, I guess for the audience who doesn't know me, I'm Duran. I drum in the band. You drum in the band? Yeah. For how long have you been drumming in the band? Uh, I've been drumming in the band since maybe maybe over three years now, right? When, when did we first meet? We played... We I, I remember meeting you at the old <laughs> rehearsal space. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. That was a fun place. That was yeah, a fun place. That was a fun place. You look a little bit like a disoriented kind of like a little bit scared i look scared yeah a little bit like intimidated by well, there's a microphone there's a camera on me no no no, no like back then oh back then yeah. back then you looked a little bit of that. but that's that's odd i shouldn't have been you know like I, yeah i did that all the time interesting but not in in this setup right like what what is your previous kind of like <clears throat> experience because like when 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 i did a little research on who the rich guy is <laughs> yeah yeah uh, it, it gave me like the drum lesson so you're uh uh, optimization on Google must be set up very well. Sure, yeah. And I'm... then it also said that you have over over two decades of experience of playing, which means you're fucking old. Yeah, yeah. So right. tell That's me about those two thing. decades. That's the first <laughs> thing you notice is how old I am. Yeah, true. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I got the the web stuff is, is somewhat down. I think I need to redo it. It's been a while. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, I've been drumming for, it must have been two decades. How, how long? I started when I was 10. So it's been 25 years. So 20, old, 24 yeah. and soon to be 25 nice. in a bit. Yeah. So that's a lot. That's a lot of drumming. I don't know. Do you call like the first five years experience? Probably. Yeah, I, I was playing. I played gigs when I was pretty young. I think I was playing by the time I was like 13 or 14. I think I was playing even younger, probably like when I was 12, I was probably playing mm-hmm. in like churches or something like that. So yeah, I did that. My my first tour was with my family through Europe and I must have been 15, I think, when I did that. So you've so. done your first tour when you were 15 and it was straight into Europe. Like you didn't, it was straight you didn't in, even yeah. bother with yeah. like the local <laughs> churches or just like, yo, yeah. East Side Church, we're coming from West Side or I don't know. Yeah, yeah it was just... Uh, it was right to the international touring. How was so, that? It was awesome. Yeah. Very cool. From what I remember, we did, uh, we played like Oktoberfest or around there in Germany. Mm-hmm. And we did Germany, Czech Republic, I think Austria. I think those were the three countries we hit. And it was like a month, month long. And so you were like, was it as intense touring as you have now? Or was it a, a <laughs> no. little bit more chilled and relaxed well back then i just drummed you know Mm -hmm. i think and that one i toured with my family which is a another uh funny story but my dad had like a blues band that he wanted to make out of his family so i was the drummer that's how i kind of originally started drumming was my dad always wanted a family band so he's like we have all the other instruments handled by everybody else we need a drummer and i was 10 i was like of course drums are cool so i took that on and uh so I just drummed and I was young <clears throat> and then we had somebody else who did tour management. So he booked the whole thing for us. Mm. So we basically just showed up and just fucking rocked out. You, you did know? it the smart way, eh? Yeah, yeah. Nice. It was uh, way different times back then. You didn't need to make social campaigns. You didn't need to do anything. My dad had like, I don't even think he had a CD at the time. So mm. at least the band we were in didn't have a CD. And so for how long did that continue after the tour? Like, uh did you guys break up or? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, my my dad still plays. Uh, I I released an different album. Drummer, eh? Yeah, he has a different drummer, a local guy back in Edmonton. Okay. Um, and he's had a few like iterations of that group. They're called Doctor Blue. So check them out. It's great, uh, funny kind of blues stuff. Uh, I recorded an album with him. I don't know. It's been a while now, maybe like eight or nine years ago. Okay. And it's it sounds good. So that album's out there. But other than that, there's no, like, real... I think he did another CD at some point, which I wasn't on. Um, what was that? That is my guitar, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, those guitars making sounds. This is why you can't have guitars on while you're podcasting. Yeah, every day you learn something new, I guess. <clears throat> so anyway, yeah, that's uh, that's about it, my... And so after after you you were done with your family, like why did that happen? Did you just decide to leave the family band, or was it a, was it like a, a school decision? Did you what was it like a, a change in a in a in a music style or? I don't know. That's a good question. I never really saw the family band as a as a real band. You know, I think oh. I was just a guy gonna that be was hurt. that was drumming. Here, well, yeah. I mean, my dad's band is real, but like I was always just playing in it. You mm-hmm. know. I don't know. I had no idea. I think I just, I don't know. I was doing other stuff with drums. I don't like what? Uh, okay, so when I was really young, uh, I was playing in lots of like emo and like hardcore bands back so then. So what, what bands did you listen to back then? 
Uh, I was really into that whole emo hardcore scene. Um, I liked, I don't know, Under Oath, Emery, one of my favorite bands, a band from Edmonton called Misery Signals. I liked a group called Protest the Hero. Probably my favorite group at the time was a prog rock group called Mars Volta. Mm-hmm. Um, still one of my favorite groups. Interesting. So I was really into that kind of stuff. I was such an emotional emo kid. Like I had long black hair that covered half of my face. With somewhere I have a picture of. When, yeah, no, nobody has photos of it. It doesn't exist. Nobody knows what I we looked like back then. Picture. I wore a tight black band tees and tight black jeans. Yeah, I had the whole... It was pretty funny. Okay, so you went from being young drummer touring Europe with a Christian music with your family <laughs> into a hardcore emo. What, yeah. ha- what happened in between? Uh, I don't know. I was just nothing, really. I just really liked that music. It just resonated with me, you know? So okay. I, and but you still went to church and yeah, still like went, an emo kid. Yeah, I just looked like an emo kid, you know. So I was still still. How was that received there. in your family? Uh, Sun, Sunday lunch. Good, good question. I, I don't think it was like Durant yeah. I don't think up. anybody was super stoked with how I looked. Mm. Like it wasn't as presentable. But my parents didn't. They weren't like terrible with it. They were cool. Yeah, they were just like whatever. You want to look like that and. I think most people were fine with it, especially because I was a nice kid. Mm-hmm. I wasn't like, I don't know, burning houses down or anything. So I think it was pretty acceptable. I was like smiling all the time and stuff, like typical. So That's a very weird emo kid. Yeah, it didn't, smiling it didn't really. Smiling being yeah, nice. I, I mean, but at the end of the day, I don't think that was really who I was anyway. Yeah. Like, it was I like think, a detour in your uh, yeah, growing you up. Know, when you're young and you're in high school, you're... You're, uh, that's what you do. You experiment with yeah, yeah, your yeah. look or you try to find an identity. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So. When was the first time you experimented with drugs? Drugs? Uh, first time drugs was tw- uh, 20s. So I don't mean Advil, right, and stuff like that. Yeah, 20s. Like, and I'm not a big drug user. So no, you're not. Just uh, mainly weed, and that was, yeah, late Probably late twenties. And was it still emo Duran or was it the already the jazz Duran? That was jazz Duran. Okay, that's, so so that's so, the Duran that you see currently. Oh, okay. With some some alterations, of course, right? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You evolve and grow. And so when the switch up from emo to <laughs> jazz happened, it's really interesting to me. Uh saying. that that would have happened when I uh, uh probably like college. College uh later college Um, when I moved, I lived in Texas for, that's where I went to school and probably around that time, that was the, I, my hair just grew out. I got a normal haircut. I did, I did have long hair at one point. Oh, you, you had long hair. Yeah. Like I, I had occasionally long hair. I'd grow it out and then. Like how long? Uh, it probably the longest, it was like shoulder length. Shoulder. Like the fringe went all the way to shoulders. Yeah. Oh, that's long. Yeah. That was pretty, it got pretty long. I liked it. But I don't think I look great, like you know. But I also didn't have an expensive barber or anything. I was just like, I just grew it out and left it. And then if I ever got a cut, it was like super cuts. Yeah. And they just, I, you know, I don't know what to tell them, so they just chop it, and it looked horrible. Oh no. But uh, yeah, <clears throat> so that was that was about when I changed to normal jazz Duran. And so, why did you decide to go to Texas? And not stay in one of the, I don't know, like the Vancouver's or Alberta's kind of schools or universities or whatever you guys have there. Well, I did go to two years in Edmonton at a school called McEwen College, which was at the time a pretty pretty good jazz music school in Edmonton. Um, 
But then after that, uh, I wanted like the real deal, you know, like I was really into jazz at, at that point. And, you know, America is just the cradle of jazz and that's where it comes from. So I wanted to study from the best mm -hmm. and I didn't have the money to go to New York to study there. And uh, so I either was going to go to McGill in Montreal or uh, North Texas in the States. I had a friend of mine that already was going there okay. and he was. I went down to visit him and audition and I was like the best school. I've, I just couldn't believe how good the drummers were and just the music. So that's why I went there. And so when you got in there, how did you feel like uh, were there a lot of kids that were, I don't know, like, did you compare to, to other people? Totally. Yeah. You were just like, was it like a big contest? <laughs> yeah. Was it, better, it, faster? it was, it's very competitive, right? Like <clears throat> mm -hmm. when you're in a jazz school like that, you probably experienced the same kind of thing. It's, Yeah. It's competitive, it's not competitive. Everyone's very supportive, right? Everybody's like stoked for you to to be getting things, but at the same time, whatever bands you're in, another drummer wants to be in that band. Mm -hmm. And so it's super competitive. When I first got there, I thought I was good because I had left the two years at Edmonton and, and I was like a pretty I was like one of the better drummers to leave Edmonton. So I thought like, oh I'm I got this. Like I'm I'm the shit. I know what's going on. And then I got to the States and just got annihilated. I, I yeah. was I was brutal. Like I didn't get into any ensembles my first year. Um, I had a scholarship that was threatened because I didn't make any ensembles in the first year. I would technically was supposed to lose it, but they were nice enough to let me keep it. Um, so pressure was, it was on, it was tough, scary. All the drummers are so good too. Like, and they still are. Are there any names that, that are now famous in the, in the jazz world that you kind of studied with or? Uh, well, my drum teacher was called Ed Sof, uh, and he's a pretty famous in terms of the jazz education world. Mm -hmm. Him and another guy named John Riley are probably the two guys that are living today that are like the guys you want to study from, at least in a collegiate level. Um, so Ed was incredible. Ed has taught, you know, some famous guys like Dave Weckl. He taught okay. um, at one point, he taught Keith Carlock, who plays with Uh, Steely Dan occasionally. Um, he taught Ari Honig, who's a very famous jazz drummer now. Um, a bunch of other, bunch of other dudes that I, are not coming to mind. But yeah, there's some good like drummers to come out of there. Mm -hmm. You know, that school alone has lots of great guys. I mean, I have friends playing for Eminem, and was playing for Prince. Uh, I'm playing for M83. Uh, there's lots of guys in big country groups that I don't know anything about. <laughs> um, but yeah, like uh, totally good, good pedigree at that school. And then, so you finished, you, you, what did you graduate there? And reality kind of hit. And what did Duran do at what, that time? <laughs> what reality hit? I don't, I don't think reality hit. I, I loved, uh, jazz school is great. I played in a really great band called the one o'clock lab band, which in some uh, jazz circles is a big deal. Um, so that was great. So I came out of that and I was at a high, mm -hmm. like when I graduated and I immediately went into cruise ships. Oh, right. Yeah. Which may or may not have been the best call, but I had a blast doing it. So I was able to, to travel around the world and drum, which was great. So that was kind of what I did for the next on and off for about six six years probably six years after school you you did that on and off yeah i mean there's a lot of stuff that happened in between i moved to vancouver pretty shortly like i was gonna maybe move to new york i never did um i thought i maybe i was in edmonton again for like a month and decided to leave so i moved to vancouver pretty shortly after graduating and so at that point i was also touring around with 
um, an indie band that I was in called Zervin at the time. So there was kind of that. And then off and on, I would do cruise ships as well. So it was kind of like, it was like touring. Mm-hmm. You know, you leave for four months, you do a cruise ship, you come back, and either I would play local gigs or I would tour with another group. And uh, basically, it was like cash flow dependent. So mm-hmm. if I ran out of money, I'd go on a cruise ship. Uh, and then that kind of that cycle repeated itself for quite a while. And then, so you said that you, after the cruise ships, you kind of got back and started touring with them. <laughs> this is really funny talking to Duran. I really love it. Yeah, I like uh, it. I like it. Uh, well, so, you may, maybe you don't know some of this stuff. No, 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 no. Uh, I'm definitely like learning some stuff. Yeah, there you go. But uh, so, like, for people that doesn't live live in Vancouver. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, they probably don't know that the music scene in here is not at the time of this being recorded. It's not very like a. It's not like music scene when you when when I imagine the music scene to me, it's like a lot of young bands, a lot of people going out for gigs, and a lot of people seeing live music and you know talking about mm-hmm. live music. But uh, Vancouver is just like doesn't doesn't seem to be a that kind of city. Was it different before when you when you moved here? Uh, I mean, yes and no. I think Vancouver has always had good bands and musicians. That's always existed. I think it's more the support for the scene that, okay. that is lacking. And yeah, I think that was that was a bit lacking even back when I was here about 10 years ago. So so how did you find bands that you could tour with or, or like other gigs? Like was it a Craigslist? Was it a... Um, a lot of it's just word of mouth and okay. a lot of it is like old people like uh, Zerbin I knew from Edmonton so there okay. was some like there's Vancouver is a very strong Edmonton connection so I think a lot of like Edmonton musicians are in Vancouver and uh, Edmonton I think is a stronger scene in, just in terms of support mm-hmm. so everybody knows everybody a little bit better so when I went to Vancouver like Zerbin that first band I was in that was from Edmonton Uh, and then when you tour around with them, you meet other bands that you tour with. And then eventually those guys are like, hey, I need a drummer. Um, we also have jazz jams, right? If mm-hmm. you're, The jazz scene is a completely different thing. So there's jazz jams you can go to. Um, I knew a couple drummers from Texas okay. that were able to kind of connect me with other musicians. And then the longer you're in it, like people just kind of get word of your name and it spreads. And yeah. then... So besides the band you're at right now or in or whatever. Rare Americans. The yeah, current that band. one. Um when did the drumming business started? Like for people that don't know, you have a business of your own. I do I teach drums, so you know, look me up and uh if you uh, just type in a Google Duran Ritz, he's gonna pop up as the first because he's uh Google optimization, whatever. Yeah, well I guess during all this time I was really into Um, marketing and like entrepreneur stuff and mm-hmm. and that mainly because I was broke so you know like you but like did when, when did that kind of should I call it a passion or is it just like a pure interest like from a financial purpose I mean maybe purpose. it started as like a necessity but it quickly was something that I liked to do okay. right so at first I'm like oh I could use some extra cash and at the time like you know around that time probably 10 years ago what was What was popular? Um that book, uh Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss was like big. Anyway, that was the first I read that book and that was the first I'd ever heard of the concept of like passive income and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. Um so I was just interested in it. So I was doing a little research and I got into 
I've tried every weird money-making scheme you can imagine. And what was the weirdest one? Uh, I think at one point I had like a blog selling like baby clothes or something like that. Yeah, so it got it got weird. I've done everything. I sold seat cushions. Um, I had a seat cushion company for a while. Uh, what else? I've sold compression socks. Uh, was as a company. So you know, I've, I've done all sorts of weird stuff. You see, that is new to me. Most of it. Um, How did the compression sock socks went? Uh, it's just that doesn't. Uh... Well, the seat cushions worked better than the compression socks. So the seat cushions sold, they actually sold pretty well. But, you know, any sort of these passive income businesses, they're very difficult. Uh, like it, everyone will tell you it's super easy to do. And, oh, just sit around. You make uh, like $5,000 a month just yeah, like yeah. sitting on your ass. It's not like that. They all take a ton of work. Um, so uh, the compression socks, I don't think we ever ended up selling out of those. Hmm. And we do had you have to, some, some. I, I don't know. Some we We... <laughs> You have to like we had to like burn them or something. I, 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 I like you're. It's a weird. I'm not going to talk about that business. Like you can find out more about that. But the compression socks did not sell well. None of the businesses really uh, killed it okay. uh, by any means. Like I wasn't sitting there making ten thousand a month. Like they'll all tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, Disappointment. And I was pretty early on to a lot of that stuff. Like it wasn't as popular as it is now. Okay. Now everybody's aware of all these weird schemes that you can do. Um, anyway, that sort of stuff was, whether or not it was like a amazing success, I learned a lot. Like I learned a lot about web development, marketing, uh, social media, like loads of stuff, um, that I use today with rare Americans. So But before that you use it for your drumming. Initially I used it for my drumming. So you're right. I never got to that. Um, yeah. So I just, I also just started a drum business cause I, I found out that, People were emailing me all the time being like, hey, I want drum lessons. And I, I actually never really, I didn't like teaching drum lessons back okay. back a while ago. Um, and I did it when I was in Texas, like once a week, I'd teach lessons mm-hmm. uh, formally at like a music school. And I just didn't enjoy it. And I think it was how it was set up. Like okay. they, it's, it's like a lot of kids and then sometimes there's some adults and Um, it's like very productized. Like, it's like whoever the kid is, it doesn't matter. Uh, you teach, you teach this kid. And like, mm-hmm. sometimes, um, it can be really rough, uh, teaching kids like that. Cause yeah. they, they don't, they're not there to really learn. Yeah. Um, they're there to just like, either they think it's fun or their parents are making them do it. If, if a kid thinks it's genuinely fun and they actually care, it's awesome. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, cause they, they work really hard. Um, but a kid that doesn't want to be there, it's like you're babysitting for 30 minutes and it's horrible. Like it just, it's a, yeah, I've it had those sucks. experiences too. It just, it's, it's the worst. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You've taught as yeah. well. Right. So it sucks. And then you have to do it every, we got a visitor here. Jongo Bongo is here. Jongo Bong the door. We'll find more about him later. Oh, we will find more about the guy. That's exciting. Exciting stuff. Um, yeah. And the other thing about uh, music lessons is you're doing every 30 minutes, right? So it's, you can work for eight hours straight and you teach new kid every 30 minutes and it's exhausting because mm-hmm. your energy level has to be the same because every new kid comes in, they're at, they're at 10 and you're like, I've been doing this for six hours. I'm exhausted. Yeah. And it's really hard to match their energy levels. Anyway, Um, so I was looking for a better way to do lessons and 
um, people were just coming to me mm-hmm. naturally because of some marketing efforts and some other stuff. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't really want to teach. I did as a test, like, could I even get people to email me in the first place? And then they all started emailing me. And, uh, I realized if I were to teach just adults, um, it's way more fun, you know? Yeah. So adults, they, they maybe don't practice, they maybe don't care as much because they have jobs and they have other stuff to worry about. But, uh, at the end it's, it's way more relaxed. I teach hour long lessons, which is way easier to do. Um, it's adults, which I find that the flow is a lot easier to deal with. And I only do short, like I don't right. do eight hours of lessons. Okay. I do, right. I do like four. And so for how long you've been running this business in, in Vancouver? I think I was looking probably like five years. I've five been years doing now. It. That, that's good. Yeah. So, I mean, at first it wasn't very big, right? Like I'd only teach a couple days a week. Okay. And, uh, I kind of maintained that for a long time and now it's kind of evolved and I have somebody teaching for me and that's awesome too. And, and, uh, so it's a different thing. I teach a lot less myself, mm-hmm. um, but it's still going, which is great. And so is that only in person or like if someone, uh, from the States mm-hmm. wants to get, uh, you know, drumming lessons from Mr. Duran Reads from rare Americans? You could. Yeah, I, of course. I is teach, it an email uh, job again or is it like, do he, does he, he or, or, or her has to go to a, like a website and find you somewhere? I or? mean, these days find me anywhere, right? Just send me a message on But Instagram. Need, it or... needs to be a message. It cannot be, uh. Uh, WhatsApp or anything because your notifications yeah. are off. So yeah, email. you won't. I I won't get a notification if you email me. I do get mm-hmm. that notification. Okay, so, that's so it's, it's the email. Okay, you're listening to our free podcast, The Screw Loose Juice. But this is just a taste. If you want the all access pass to Rare Americans, then sign up for our fan club. For just five dollars a month, you'll get never seen before music videos, guitar tutorials, articles written by the band, never heard before song demos, and hey, maybe even a little life advice that we've picked up along the way. Your five bucks goes a long way in helping us make more music and videos to further reach people just like you all around the world. The link to sign up is on our website, rareamericans.com, and on our Instagram page, at rareamericans. Thanks so much for your support. And then, the so so you kind of build your uh, 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 social media skills and kind of uh, web design skills at that time because of necessity? Basically, yeah. Basically. Uh, and, and it turned into maybe an interest that I, okay. I liked to, to do it. Because I know? remember when you got to, uh, when, when, when you joined the band, your personal profile, I might be wrong, but I think it had more followers than Rare American's profile. Might have, yeah, that might have been, that might have been the case. Yeah, my, uh, my drumming pretty, Instagram might have had yeah. more. <laughs> it was pretty funny. It was pretty funny. So, yeah, I mean. So now we're at, in the Rare American's era when you joined and, mm-hmm. uh, you take your social media skills and and your web design skills and and uh, uh, digital art skills, whatever you want to call it, and you mm-hmm. brought it to a, a level professional now in Rare Americans. Well, I, I would always do it for myself. So now I was doing it for Rare Americans, which is different. And know? so people might think that uh, you just, you know, show up in the morning, sit behind the drums and then shred practice mm-hmm. and then go out for a nice lunch and then you maybe play music again and then you probably I know do whatever which is a big mistake. So I mean I wish, right? I think everybody we, wishes that I think we all like, wish. So how is how is your reality? Like 
show people or tell them about the, um, what it actually is to be a drummer in Rare Americans? Yeah, well, it changes a lot, right? Like it's it's always evolved since probably since I joined, right? Mm-hmm. It was it's been completely different. Uh, it's always moving and changing. But I, at the time when I first joined, I was just basically social media, right? So I would do a little video editing. Um, and at the time, all we really did was Instagram. I don't think we, I, I think James was doing his, uh, he, James was running our Twitter, mm-hmm. I think. And I think you were doing YouTube mm-hmm. stuff and yeah. um, you were doing a lot of video editing and, yeah. and everything. So I was just doing Instagram. Um And then some, like, I think I did a little graphic design. Like, we would do, like, basic banner changes on our YouTube and yeah. and stuff like that. So it was pretty... Actually, I guess, it, compared to what I do now, it was super easy, like, uh, comparatively. Mm-hmm. That was, like, pretty good. But even at the time, I was like, well, this is a lot of work. Like, yeah. that seems crazy. Now, uh, you know, like, cut to a few years later, uh, there's so much that happens, Um Social media is now like Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, Snapchat, sort of. We don't really do much there. Um, Discord, there's like a million things now. And on top yeah. of that, maybe uh, we'll be handling email marketing on top of that. I do, I coordinate with our web team in terms of web development. Uh, and for a long time, I was running our merch store as lo- as well. So that was a whole giant thing as well as running a, a whole merch yeah. <laughs> merch empire there yeah um so getting designs done and then i would do a lot of graphic design so any of the graphics uh, other than the art so the art we have a guy george conk and he does our actual art and then solace does all of our animations but other than that i take those assets and compile them and whatever as a as graphic design and i put text all that stuff so It's really evolved to be a lot of work. <laughs> so basically, you're not drumming. If, if we don't have tour coming up or something coming up, <clears throat> yeah. And if we don't demo, the drummer of Rare Americans is not drumming, eh? I don't. I don't. Uh, you're right. If it's if we're not rehearsing, so it's great right now because we're rehearsing for our tour coming up. So I actually get to drum every day, which is awesome. Or when we record an album, it's great because we mm-hmm. get to. We get to drum. And initially, we used to do a lot of demoing, a lot more than we have time for now. So that was great, too. So a lot of the what we did back in a few years ago was um, was a lot of music, right? Like, we we would demo every day. We'd yeah. be down here in this room uh, working on songs, which maybe we stopped doing that, like, what, probably like a year and a half ago? Just... Bro, yeah, around the time. When we... When we... I think the last demoing was before we went to uh, record with uh, Ben Kaplan. The oh, RA, RA4. RA3 stuff, wasn't it? Four. RA4? RA4. Oh, was okay. still, yeah, before that. Like, once we got into Hipposonic, we didn't do any other demoing. That right. was, like, I the mean, last we've, year. We've demoed occasionally, right, here here and there. And But I then the latest thing that we did, we didn't even demo. Yeah. We just went straight I with... I mean, uh, yeah, it was just like recording james on you yeah know, acoustic guitar and that that's about it which which you know it's different right like i mm-hmm. i liked the demoing was pretty fun but we also got really frustrated with the whole thing uh, yeah um which is normal and now we're frustrated because maybe we don't demo as much um but i liked the last recording session where we didn't have demos because i think at the end the final product is 
is maybe more organic mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. You know, like we used to always show up with these fleshed out demos that were like 90% done. And yeah. then we would just re-record them basically with better mm-hmm. drums, better, better equipment. And, uh, that seemed like less intensive. So maybe there's like a middle ground between mm-hmm. the two that we haven't fully explored, but yeah, that was when we used to do more actual drumming. And then the business side, rare Americans grew so much that the business really, uh, took a lot of time. Yeah. And so we, we push back demoing all the time. Like there was a lot of, it's just like crazy to, to run this to the level that other bands uh, are performing at. Right. Mm-hmm. Because they generally have a major label, um, with 30 people dedicated to the team that can, they have a web team, they have a social team, they have, um, uh, merch, they have merch yeah. and somebody else is usually handling that. Um, email blast would obviously be done by the label. So, there's like a whole team that we didn't have because we're an independent band. Yeah, so, I mean we we got on the label and we did get on the label. And we got all those people too, but it just somehow didn't work out. Yeah, I think to this, you're right. I think to the standard or the standard that we want to perform at, at mm-hmm. least on our business side yeah. of things, um, ultimately the label didn't didn't match what we wanted. Right? Like, yeah at all. I found that I was actually doing more work when I was on the label because we, it felt like we were at this next level. And so we had to perform better and better and better and better. Um, and the label just like, they were giving us tasks and things that we could do that would make us make things better for us. But then it ultimately landed on us to, to produce that stuff. Right. Yeah. So it seemed like, yeah, the workload actually increased with the label. (laughs) And then when we left the label, we were so used to this huge output that it was on us because mm-hmm. we now were independent again. So we had nobody to help us. So yeah. then it just ramped up even even more. So yeah, the business side really took a lot of time. And then I didn't drum at all until unless we were, until probably studios. That was whenever yeah. we were recording, that's yeah. when we would drum. Yeah. And So that is a, that's a brutal reality, like what it means to be in yeah. an independent band nowadays, I guess. True, uh, but what people, I guess, don't know about you that besides all of those your achievements and things, you are a very um, financially responsible person. Is that what people know? Uh, they don't know that. I don't think they know. Well, oh, they that. don't know that. They don't know. I mean, I don't like, know if it, I, if that's true though. I mean, you know? to yeah, to to myself and to people around, I think you like you, you're the one that kind of knows ins and outs and just like, you know, you, you, mm. you, you sometimes send those WhatsApps like, yo guys, be aware of this app or whatever when, <laughs> yeah. when, when we're talking crypto, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. So you, you kind of follow all, all that. Like when did that mm. happen to be like, uh, in your interest or that would have probably happened around the same time as I was doing all the other stuff. Right. Um, Cause I was just into information okay. and I liked reading books and part of it was like investing. Right. And how do I turn what little money I have as musicians are not, uh, the, the monthly income from a musician is not substantial, uh, okay. for most musicians. Mm-hmm. It could be for better for lots or if they're doing a second job, right. Then they can, then they have actual steady income. So, I was like, how do I make the most of this or what do I do? And so I was really into investing at the time. So I read a bunch of books on that. Um, so I would invest, but 
you know, I'm not going to, I don't know if like I was killing it, you know, like there were times where I was broke. Like I had $10,000 in uh credit card debt, which, you know, I had to liquidate all my investments yeah. to pay that off. And, um, you know, at some point you learn like it's maybe not a savings issue and it's not an investing issue. It's I'm just not making enough money, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it was nice. That passive income concept was great because at least I was working on that. Um, and then, you know, you get better at it. Uh, Rare Americans at least has an income coming in, right? So, so you're at least paid yeah. monthly, which helps a lot, right? And yeah. once you once you actually, like, get a job, <laughs> you know, life is life is a lot easier, yeah. I think. You know, musicians and artists, freelance stuff is tough. Like, if it's not steady, it, you have to be very good with your books. Yeah. And you have to really know how much you're spending a month, how much money's coming in. Uh, to do stuff correctly, to come out on top, right? I think you can make anything work. You just have to really know how much you're getting in, how much is going out, and uh, you know that. And and invest, right? If you're not looking at how much how much percentage am I making every year, uh, you're never going to come out on top either. Mm -hmm. So you got to think long term. So I don't know where, I guess all that came out of necessity as well. Right? And so, so that would be like the, or what would be the, the advice that you would give to your younger self? Like, uh, younger self would be get steady income. Mm -hmm. So even if it's part-time, like if it's just a delivery driver job or yeah. something, um, and as much as it sucks, just do it. And, and like, if you're really dedicated to your, to your art, do part-time. Because there is, even if you're an artist, there's a lot of your day that you can work a job and you probably shouldn't be sitting at your, doing your art 16 hours a day. Mm -hmm. You're going to have such an unhealthy relationship with it. Um, so a job teaches you a lot. It teaches you how to, how to work, how to do things consistently, and it gives you income, which is extremely important. Uh, so that, that would be the advice that I would probably give is just find a job and Uh, get your books down so know what you're spending every month and know what you're bringing in every month and if it's if you're in negatives then no good right uh then fix that and probably and if you can avoid debt would be especially if you're if you're not making a ton of money incoming and you don't know how to use debt don't like just mm -hmm. if you're gonna buy anything with a credit card make sure you can You have the cash to pay that off immediately. Pay it off and just get that done with. Because um, there is things like building credit, which is you want a credit card for that. Um, but they're super dangerous. Like if you don't know what you're doing, you end up with $10,000 in debt. Yeah. And I'm sure there's people way worse than, than that, right? So that would, be the, that would be my advice is get income and then invest something just super easy you know you can you can fix all of the inefficiencies in your investing strategy later mm -hmm. but just figure out what's a stock what's a stock that i like throw some money in there and then just don't sell it ever until mm -hmm. you are aware of what you're doing and then it's like oh okay i see um i bought a bunch of this stock it's now worth this much i've made this much money you know, then maybe you can make a decision on when to sell it. But if you're not putting your money anywhere and you're just kind of sitting on it, thinking a savings account's going to do anything for you, good luck. Mm. I, I don't know. It's not going to, 
not going to work out as well as you think or hope, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, this is all the wisdom that we have in the reach of our hands in here, in RA HQs, <laughs> all the financial support and uh, <laughs> maybe not, not support, but like uh, information that we can get from, yeah, you know uh, from uh, Mr. Duran. Yeah, uh, any anytime. Send me a DM. Send, yeah, yeah, if you're interested in like uh which stocks to buy. But I mean, uh, I'm I'm I'm, figuring, I'm learning this on my own as well. I barely I don't think I'm crushing it either. No, we so. we all are, but but do you I, I must say out of all of us just like the guy to go and ask and just like or at, at least mm. If if there is something happening in that world, I'm pretty sure that you are the one that's gonna have the information. For yeah, it. maybe I am into like economics and world news, and uh, I love cryptocurrencies, and I like investing, and I don't know some of that stuff is interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, me me too. I kind of like that stuff, but I'm, I'm not that interested in that. I just like I like to make money, and if I'm losing, I'm not opening the app, <laughs> not selling anymore. But anyway, yeah, uh, I, I think like that's on the income part is yeah you realize life is a lot easier when things are predictable mm-hmm. and income is a, such a big part of that, right? Yeah. If you go back to non-predictable income, um, mentally, I don't know if it sets you up very well. Yeah. So that's even just a portion, knowing like, you know, I got a part-time job and a thousand bucks a month. That's mm-hmm. it. Like, that's good. That's like a, at least you can depend on that, right? Yeah. As long as you don't get fired, which, you know, who knows? <clears throat> Well, I got fired a couple times. But anyway, <laughs> uh, last two questions. The worst right. and the best tour experience or days or whatever you like the worst. Or like a day or Do you mean our tour or just touring? Good question. Uh, no, can... like do, do, do touring in general. Like our tour, sure, whatever. But do, do if you have something interesting from uh, other tours... Bring it in. Okay, and do you want me... Is there another one, or should I just answer this from first? You can answer, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have no other questions after that. Um, I don't know what's a, what's a really... I don't know of an individual story. I, I Maybe I do, but um, with Rare Americans, we were touring on buses, which you think in is great. Europe, in Europe. In or, Europe, we were not. Uh, U.S., our U.S. tour, we toured in a bus. A tour in a bus. bus. Or because you, you, you said buses. So I thought like... Sorry, we, sorry, yeah. yeah. A, a bus. A, a bus, bus. Tour bus. Okay. Because we've only done one U.S. tour. Yes. So the next one, I'm assuming, will also be on a bus. Yes. Uh, which, on first outlook, is pretty luxurious, right? Like, everybody's like, that's badass. You, you've made it, right? And it is great. It, it is cool. I hated it, um, personally. Why? Uh, however... Well, I, for me, it's not for me because it's uh, too many people and it's too messy. I, I like things clean and organized. and Yes. It was, yeah, I know you too. And it's very anxiety. Like it just stresses you out when some people in the band are extremely uh, or maybe careless with their clothing and their stuff. And it ends up in everybody's zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So that can be stressful. And then also, I'm not great at sleeping on the bus. Like, I, I would have fear Was it of, the bunk thingy or was it the just the bus in general? I think it's the bus. When it's moving, it mm-hmm. moves so much. And right. I used to sleep on cruise ships. And they did not... For some cruise ships were, like, more steady or something. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the difference was. But the bus, I, I did not sleep amazing. Mm-hmm. So, but what I will say to get to my story is that when you're... Sleeping on a bus, it's nice because you leave that evening, right? After you're done your gig, 
you leave to the next city and overnight as you sleep you're you you're driven and you wake up in the next city mm-hmm. which is totally luxurious compared to touring i used to do in a van with like five people crammed in a small um ford econoline or some sort of like small ish van that is brutal because you don't get the nobody's driving but yourselves and so you wake up or you end your you end your gig and then you have to sleep so you sleep and then you have to get to the city by the same time as we would have having a driver drive us in a on a tour bus so mm-hmm. it, with a van it's brutal you have to wake up at 5 a.m and get in a van and drive and you're exhausted it takes eight hours to drive to the next city you get to that city and you literally get out unload your gear play the gig and then you have to go to sleep again and you do not get to see it so mm-hmm. The worst experiences are definitely those bands that are not as luxurious as we are anymore, and they have to just grind it out. Mm-hmm. I did that for years, and uh, that was rough. I remember one gig with uh, Zurbin, the band I was in. We showed up in, what city was it? I think it was like Quebec or something like that. And we went to the venue, and we loaded in, and nobody was there. Like, not not one person was there. And I remember we were just sitting in the van like, why are we doing this? Like, why? No one's going to watch us play. This is ridiculous. It's, it's pointless to do. And, like, you're just so down, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. it's like you feel like no one cares about you, you or your band or whatever. And you might have played a great show the night before, but it just, like, it crushes every time. Yeah. And then I remember, I think that gig, I think it was in Quebec City. We played and literally there were two people in the audience and they weren't even in the audience so the only two people that were there was one the bartender and two the bass player of the opening band and the only reason he was there was because he wanted his amp back because we let him use his amp so (laughs) it was uh that that hurts like to play for literally nobody uh that that's probably the lowest points that you go through other than that like Everything else is I, I slipped and I hurt my arm or yeah. like um, somebody said we suck or something like that. Like there's no other terrible stories, I don't think. It will be the best one. One of my favorites is when we played Chicago when um, some guy handed Ginger a switchblade and mm-hmm. said, I think you need this uh, just as a gift. That, I thought that was pretty awesome. Okay. Uh, the other awesome things are anytime the fans, we meet them, it's like, so cool yeah the fans are awesome and saying hi and they like tell us their stories or whatever and some of them are crazy some of them are sad some of them are like super inspiring and uh, somehow our music has is the soundtrack to all of it right Mm -hmm. everybody's lives and it's like this music is a big part of their lives and i remember when i was a kid a same thing Uh, all the bands that i really liked all those emo bands it was like part of your development right and that music means so much to you and it's like the background to everything you do. So I think those stories are probably the best. And I'm sure there's individual things like yawn half naked <laughs> stripping or something. That's pretty funny. We'll <laughs> get to that in a different podcast. Uh, you know, there's all, all sorts of great, uh, funny things, but yeah. Right. Well, awesome. It was, uh, that was really nice. Yeah. Uh, this is, this yeah. is fun. Screw loose juice. Yeah. Screw loose juice is fun. So, uh, do you have any, any message for people out there that are going to listen to you? Or you can just even say 
Bye. Uh, I, uh, thanks for listening to Rare Americans. Check me out outside of Rare Americans. Mm-hmm. I'm at Dritz Bits all over, um, or D Ritz Bits with a Z's or Z's, as some people say. Mm-hmm. So check me out outside that and uh, say hi, you know. Uh, tell, tell me what's up. That's about it. Awesome. Well, it was nice to having you, and uh, <laughs> this is the end. <laughs> nice to be here. Thanks, Lubo. This is yeah. great. Thanks for okay. listening. Bye. Bye. You're listening to our free podcast, The Screw Loose Juice. But this is just a taste. If you want the all-access pass to Rare Americans, then sign up for our fan club. For just $5 a month, you'll get never-seen-before music videos, guitar tutorials, articles written by the band, never-heard-before song demos, and hey, maybe even a little life advice that we've picked up along the way. Your 5 bucks goes a long way in helping us make more music and videos to further reach people just like you all around the world. The link to sign up is on our website, rareamericans.com, and on our Instagram page, at rareamericans. Thanks so much for your support.